time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin. Let's begin. Folks, welcome to the Hot Topics segment for this week, April 20th, 2020. And we have as our special guest, Gwen Muse Evans. She was most recently the Senior Vice President and Risk Officer, how appropriate to have her in these times, of the single family business at Fannie Mae. She worked for about 14 years before coming the President and CEO of GME Enterprises. We're going to be talking about her perspective on COVID-19 as a pandemic. How did you prepare for something like this at Fannie Mae, and did they? So Andy raised some really good points in our previous segment, market update segment. For those of you listening to it, go back and listen to that segment. Andy was talking about this at the end, how banks prepare, where independent mortgage bankers probably don't do as much thought preparation on this. Gwen, it's so good to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, you and I met two years or three years ago, a couple of years ago anyway, at an IMB in Florida. I was moderating a panel, and I, I listened to you talk, and I just knew there's so much wisdom there, and I was just drawn to you, and I always call you my sister from another mister. You're just so <laughs> I just I was drawn to you as a person, and you walked up to me and says, I don't know you, but I have a feeling you're gonna, you and I are going to be friends, and we have. Yes. And we formed a friendship, and it's just... I really just want to honor this friendship by having you on the podcast. That's honoring the friendship, but I want to honor our listeners with all that you can share with us, especially during this time of COVID-19. So let's get our listeners updated on who you are. You were Senior Vice President of Risk Management, or Risk Officer for Single Family Unit at Fannie Mae. If you could talk a little bit about your time there, give us some insights. Sure. So I have, um, I've been in the industry uh, 25 plus years, you know, after, after a while you just stop adding numbers. And, uh, and what that means is I've, <laughs> I've, I've lived through a lot of cycles, you know, so the mortgage industry is a cyclical industry. And, and yep. um, of course, our, our most recent memory is the, the 2008 financial and housing crisis. But, but we've actually had some hard times before then. So during my tenure at Fannie Mae, not only, you know, did I, was I there through a number of our, you know, kind of national disaster events that made a difference, you know, for the, the mortgage industry as we try to think of ways to be responsive. But also, of course, the most recent 2008 crisis was one where that challenged us to be able to implement different guidelines that than what existed. So before that, we had, for example, in our servicing guide, for the most part, basic servicing management guidelines. But we really didn't have sophisticated loss mitigation solutions. We didn't really have requirements around service or responsiveness. And so I think the good things that came out of that period of time is that, A, you know, I think there was a, a although there was a uh, tendency for some to point blame to the GSEs. I think that there was, over time, there's been a recognition that um, there really is a valuable role that the GSEs have played oh, yeah. in establishing national standards around how do we manage through challenging times from a mortgage banking perspective. And so some of these, you know, the, the different 
types of um, loan modifications and really, quite frankly, just the service, the responsiveness around how quickly forbearance programs have been put into place and eviction moratoriums. You know, all of those things are things that we learned and we kind of developed the rails from that last crisis that we had. So I think if there's anything that's good, you know, during this time, it's that I don't think that it took a lot of thought to brush the dust off and to quickly invoke some of the solutions that were needed to be responsive to the cases that we're, we're seeing where we've got just unprecedented numbers of people who are filing unemployment claims and, you know, are, are likely to be struggling to meet their mortgages and their rent. And, and I do feel as though there's been just really positive responsiveness as well as just a real focus on how do we provide solutions to help people stay in their homes. Yeah, I love the conversation that preceded ours, you know, around, you know, kind of what's, what the bank's, you know, management of risk and the, yeah. the fact that the banks have, have had pandemic responses. And, um, but the examples that you had talked about earlier with Chase tightening their credit standards and, right. you know, we're seeing a number of warehouse lenders who have kind of changed the covenant in their agreements. And we've also seen a contraction in non-QM because liquidity is, is going away. And, and that is, you know, it's certainly proactive and, and it, it feels hard, right? You know, it's like, oh, no, how can you tighten your credit at this time? But the reality is, is that this is also based on knowing that down the road, we're going to start to see some of the credit events and we're going to potentially see, you know, higher defaults if we don't take some of those actions now. And so I think that's the, the tough message in what we've all learned over time. But, um, but I think, you know, kind of if we think about, you know, yes, that, those are the similarities. So what's different now, right, in terms of this pandemic uh, versus the crisis that we've faced in the past? And, and I, I was reading an article that compared this to the World War I, World War II period, mm. where we had an, a common enemy and the economy was redirected in efforts to fight the enemy. And this feels different because we are now, you know, we've got this broader national and even international impact, right? And, and the root of this is a health crisis with the financial effects being secondary. So it feels hard for all of us because, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and it just it feels as though there's going to be such a deep cut for us. But hopefully, we will bounce back, you know, so there's pent up demand. And, and I think the Hopefully, the bright side of all of this is that once we get past this challenging period, we will, you know, see our nation reset and see our nation rebound and see people return to work. And, and on the mortgage banking side, I mean, they're still managing high volume, right? So there's still yeah, high recent right. volumes. There's still purchases have dampened a bit, but... Uh, people are figuring out how do we get through the volume, you know, because the, the, the spigots really haven't turned off. We still see record low interest rates. So that's that's been really, I think, the positive side of it. Any thoughts about the Treasury and the Feds? Love to get your perspective. You're inside the Beltway. You know, we see Treasury is the, the lender of least resort. And, I mean, excuse me, the Feds are. And you see the Treasury response. I, I'm, I've been curious about the response that we've seen there. I'd love to get your thoughts on that, specifically to the forbearance issue. Well, I'll tell you what, I am very pleased with the dialogue, right? And so it hasn't taken long for Treasury and the Fed to really get to the root of the issue, right? And, and the issue, yeah. yes, like I love that there's been, you know, kind of a quick dispatchment of forbearance and 
you know, eviction moratoriums, but then right behind that are, and Ginny has done a great job, of course, with the liquidity yeah. for issuers, but, but I'm really happy that there is the dialogue, and the MBA, of course, has been front and center in highlighting, you know, the issues, because, of course, you know, the, the issuers, the housing agencies, the servicers are going to face liquidity issues with, with the need to continue to right. make the advances. And so I think that I'm, I'm pleased with the, the dialogue. Um, we, we just got to get it done, right? <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. we, everybody, kind of, hopefully, they seem to be getting on the same page in terms of what the issues are. So now, you know, there's the credit reporting, which is, you know, people have, I think, taken the right actions around that, you know, kind of un acknowledging that there's a need for tagging and tracking the any loans that are impacted by that get it but it's that liquidity that is now the next thing to solve for. And I'm optimistic that the right conversations are happening and I want to, you know, kind of see, see those solutions delivered. Yeah. We have a number of issues. It's, it's timing is so critical because we're looking at, it, it's a bit of a ticky time bomb. So it's good to have the discussions. Mm -hmm. We all want to get to a solution quickly, but we watched them roll out the last solution, especially the SBA rolled out that, and the money didn't get to some of the intended parties. We badly needed it to, and we yeah. saw something rolled out too quickly in forbearance. There should have been more qualification around forbearance rather than making a carte blanche. If you don't want to make your mortgage payment just because this is going on, just don't bother. Don't make it. So we, I wish we would had taken a little more time on that, but I understand but you've, over your 14 years, seen many differences in how different organizations manage through these crises. And I'd love to have you get your, get your perspectives, uh, especially from your 14 years at Fannie Mae, and then since then, and we'll get into what you're doing now a little bit later, but what have you seen as differences? Everybody's challenged, right? And, and everybody's yep. trying to figure out how to keep up with the business. How do we, you know, comply with the stay-at-home orders? And, and so, so that's the common denominator. But the reality is, is now uh, everybody's trying to figure out how do we operate in, uh, and leverage our technology, right, to be able to offer digital solutions, to be able to have be productive as we have more of our staff work from home. And, and I think my, my clear observation is that the mortgage bankers that were further along on that digital and automation continuum are doing yeah. better through this pandemic. So they were already ahead of the curve. They already embraced uh, being able to not just have underwriters, because as, as you know, in the industry, under, you know, we've kind of had to work. The industry was kind of forced for the underwriters to work from home for a while because it became a point where people just needed to hire the talent wherever the talent was. Um, but now, you know, the organizations that have done a better job with the digital and automation integration are the ones that have remote, remote capabilities for everybody. And right. so, but now, honestly, through, through this crisis, every single week, we're all getting better, right? And so we've, we've been yep. tested with our communication processes and, and um, those who had already embraced and, and implemented web-based communication were ahead of us. And so we're all playing catch-up. But every week, and, and one of the speakers earlier talked about some of the specials that are, that are being promoted and, and um, really quick implementation processes for a number of the technology providers and and so we can all catch up pretty quickly people have been tried to stay sensitive to the human side of it which you know it's amazing how many people don't have and this is you know computers and internet at home yep. and so organizations have just had to you know quickly implement the capabilities that you know those who had already embraced it 
kind of we're already ahead of the curve for all of us. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing specifically now since you've left Fannie Mae with your company. Talk about your clients and how it has impacted them that you're working with. And then especially from a risk perspective, risk management perspective, has your team's approach or focus adjusted in various perspectives as we've gone through this? Yeah, so thank you for that question. And so so we offer risk management services. We offer operations um, consulting and housing finance advisory services. And it just feels like the intensity of everything we're doing has completely ramped up. And so in some cases, so we have a due diligence practice, some things that were very simple at the beginning of the year, like simple documentation requests, aren't simple anymore. And what we've found and, and our, our clients have found is that they've, they've got – you know, of course, the stay-at-home and social distancing challenges are, have unanticipated impact, but there's also key person dependency, which means that one person in an organization is the person that knows where that document is or knows where that answer is, and, and that's been revealed more, <laughs> more than we really realized. Um, mm-hmm. One of the other things is, and I, and I think we had a conversation earlier in, in your program about, you know, business continuity and business resilience planning. And while the IMBs have done a better job of developing plans, you know, the reality is that they're all being tested now. And in some cases, they're actually not very useful. Um, and so, um, and, and having a specific pandemic plan is very, I, I, I haven't yeah. even seen one, you know, in the mortgage banking uh, space. And so, so I think that I mean, the, the good news, the bittersweet good news is that, um, you know, we, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of lessons that we're learning, you know, as we go through this yep. process, you know, and, and feeling some of the pain. But I think that, you know, if we learn from it and, and update our policies, you know, and our plans, uh, it will make us stronger. Yep. And in theory, there are. They're going to make us stronger. Talk about third-party monitoring and oversights. Is this a service you do? It is. It is. That's actually a really good point as well because so many of our clients rely on vendors and third-party service providers. One of the things that we do is we do provide uh, review and oversight services, but what's really important right now for our clients is to make sure that they are very thoughtful about the entities that they're depending on and instead of – because most of our mortgage banking clients have some type of routine review process, you know, once a year, once every two years. But right now, for any critical and high-risk providers, you've got to make sure that you've got your eyes on them, that you understand how are they managing through this crisis, are there any security challenges and and risk issues that could be introduced because the third-party service provider that you're relying on has weaknesses and they're having challenges in responding to the COVID-19 stay-at-home orders and and such. And our our mortgage banking process is heavily dependent on third-party service providers and vendors. And and this is an area where we tend to get comfortable because it's almost, it becomes invisible. You know, oh, that's covered by, you know, such. This is my LOS provider. But it's really important. At the end of the day, the buck stops with the mortgage banker to do some level of surveillance and uh, outreach to ensure that those entities, particularly critical and high-risk providers, are um, appropriately managing through the crisis. Let's talk about some of the articles that have been written about there and about the impact COVID-19 has had on small businesses. What are your observations about the current and long-term impacts for small businesses 
in each of our communities? Wow. So small businesses are the fuel of this country, you know, and yeah. so, and now I am a small business, but GME Enterprises is a small business. And so, so many that, I mean, we are blessed because a lot of what we do very easily translated to working from home offices and being able to do the work virtually. Right. However, and many are being very creative and looking for ways to operate virtually. And so we all have seen kind of the restaurants who have tried to stay in business and they've implemented the delivery services and, and all that. So, uh, so I applaud the creativity and really encourage, of course, all of us to support small businesses where we can. But the other thing is there's lots of information out there. And, and so it's, it's really important to share. There's lots of uh, the CARES Act has, has promoted a lot of relief programs for small businesses. Obviously, we've talked about some of the, the programs for folks who have mortgages and rent. And so what I challenge the people on this call is to be sure to share information because you know, one of the services that we provide is we do uh, financial literacy education and foreclosure counseling. And the biggest mm. thing that I find through this crisis as well as prior crisis is people just don't get information. You know, and so there's lots of solutions out there and lots of help and relief programs, but sometimes people just are not aware. And so it's really important for us to share the information that we receive and to be vigilant for um, where we can provide services. And so as a small business, and, and we've got disaster risk management background, you know, what we're doing is trying to pivot and be flexible and, and be vigilant for where there's other ways that we can supplement income, of course, but also to address a need. I want to get over to Alan Pollock, who's on here. He's got a lot of technology background. Alan, any questions, especially from a technology's perspective? Sure. Uh, one, nice to chat with you. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you. And no, no problem. David always gets the best of the best, so uh, we're happy to have you. <laughs> so, you true. know, <laughs> technology does play a big role you know, when you think of the GSEs or, or even, you know, servicers and, and lost mitt, and you think of all the aspects that sort of the buttons that are getting pushed right now. Technology, there's been a lot of preparation, but it definitely plays a big role. Do you think we were prepared or do you think we've had to shift, sort of pivot and escalate a lot of, a lot of um, focus in different areas? What are your thoughts there? Oh, my goodness. So um, thank you for that question. So we, uh, our business expands to the federal government as well as commercial clients, which, you know, the mortgage bankers, and also uh, we have some nonprofit clients. And I would say across the board, we weren't prepared. We weren't prepared, including the federal government. And so, so I think, and now the good news is that I think that we've been sprinting to catch up, but some very basic things kind of have failed through, you know, kind of connectivity issues, capacity issues. I love the comments earlier about uh, just being, being be aware of some of the cybersecurity matters. And so yeah. it's really important. I, I, I believe that our organizations probably need to, because a number of organizations have had their folks working from home to just do training. And so I think some of that cybersecurity risk training needs to be reinforced at this time so that it be malware and phishing schemes and some of those attacks aren't introduced inadvertently. Good point. That's so true. Alan, great question. Joe Farr, good to have you here. What are your thoughts as you listen to us talking about risk management and preparation for events like this? You know, it struck me as always difficult to 
make that decision on on how deep to go on a hypothetical or a, or a possible, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And so, and you mentioned, you know, no one has a pandemic plan. How do you how do you advise people as to where to go with the with their risk management planning and, and really, you know, how deep do they go? Does that make yeah, sense? I love your question. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, and and to some of the earlier conversation, you know, we do develop risk management frameworks, and we we actually have a disaster risk management framework that we've implemented for some clients. And there, one part of that framework is to you know con- include periodic reviews of your policies and procedures. But for crisis management, another part that's really important is conducting a post-mortem and conducting test exercises, which includes scenario analysis. And so one, one thing, because the reality is, is you know, the, from the earlier conversations about banks versus IMBs, it, it's really uh, risk maturity. And so as an industry, banks have been at this a long time. And so they're, they're very, for the most part, they've got very mature risk management practices. We're, we're still on a continuum in the mortgage banking industry. Some of the really long, large and longer, you know, mortgage bankers that have been at it a longer time have pretty sophisticated mortgage banking practices, uh, risk management practices. Others don't. And so I think that just really taking the time to assess existing policies, practices, and conducting test exercises of what you have against, you know, scenarios. You know, and I think that those those can really be done in a, a simple way, but that can is a, a really a great exercise to bullet test your your policies and practices and then in, improve them. I mean, the problem that we have though is we are great at responding to crisis. After it's done, we tend to you know push the manuals back on the shelf and go back to business as usual instead of taking the time to say, okay, what can we learn from this? crisis that we just experienced and how can we strengthen our operational practices. And I think that's the part of the framework that everybody can implement to make their organization stronger and improve the way they manage risk. That is true. And let's talk a little bit about how you are personally managing through this. And then I have a couple of questions from listeners here. How have you done this? I mean, it's, you and I both work from our homes or work, you know, I think, I think you said you work from basically work from home. But I find sitting here at my desk just nonstop, it's so easy to get trapped here. What are some yeah. best practices you would recommend for us that, uh, that are always practicing from working from home? Well, the one thing I'd say is like it's a ama- it's just like we're nonstop with these calls and and video yeah. calls these days, and so we can't lose sight of the human side. And one of the things that I had to be reminded of myself is that so everybody now is trying to work from home, including many people that have small children at home. Yes. And so we've got to be sensitive to people with children because although many of the school systems have done a great job with online classes and they've got their work packets there's still a demand for the parents to check in and spend time. And so just blocking quality time throughout the day is something that's really important. And, and if you don't have small children, maybe you use this time to just do outreach to anybody that you know that may be home alone. One of the projects that we've got that we work on is a senior housing project, and we are really conscious of the need for getting them supportive services, but also social isolation because social Mm. isolation actually can have negative health effects. And so really be mindful of people in your network 
and anybody that potentially is just alone and, and isolated uh, and doing outreach. And then, you know, I'm just doing, I mean, crazy things at home. Like I'm, I, my, my, my bookshelf for my video chats, you know, I've been real sensitive to how messy my bookshelf is. And so I finally <laughs> got that nice and neat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you see these impressive bookshelves behind these news anchors on news. And I'm like, oh, mine looks awful. Uh, and then just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my culinary skills. So, so since we can't go to the restaurants the way we used to, I'm trying some of my favorite dishes at home. <laughs> Yep. So. Yeah, well, I think that, and then that just normal things like exercise. I mean, thank God I got my Apple Watch yeah. reminding me to get up and move around. It's the focusing on yeah. that. But it's, you know, it's making that phone call out to someone who probably is a bit of an introvert and probably is not going to reach out. I think it's those are the things. And that's what connected me to you. You have a real heart for people. You have a heart to help and make a difference. And he said, take stock and dishwasher, stack them. I, I am famous for restacking the dishwasher. Not, uh, Andy, uh, Alan, Alan put that into me. That's a good note, yeah. Uh, so anyway, my yeah, wife says, I'm, you don't have, have to restack it there. I, I've been doing this fine before this funny. whole COVID thing. Anyway, too funny. Um, how can people get a hold of you? I just want people to reach out and connect with you, talk to you about, just get to know you, number one. But also, if they're looking for disaster preparedness, ideas on how they can manage risk more effectively in the organization. It's worth having a conversation with you. How could they reach you? Well, first of all, feel free to send me a note through LinkedIn, Gwen Muse-Evans, and my okay. email is g.muse-evans at gmeenterprises.net, and our website is gmeenterprises.net. So, so yeah, I would love to hear from you and, and happy to chat through any of this with, with anybody who's, who's listening today. Yeah, great. Appreciate it. And then share it with some of your team Thank folks. You. I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll have you back for sure. Folks, next week we're going to have Dan Habib joining us. Very excited about that. We're talking about forbearance, the Fed, and the federal housing. Dan is, of course, Barry's son. You see him a lot on all the videos that they're doing, a lot of the videos anyway. Dan's a great guy. So I'm really looking forward to looking to the next generation. Barry and I are getting older, so Dan is stepping in, doing a great job at MBS Highway. We're going to have him talking about his perspective on things. I shouldn't say he's new. He's been in it for 16 years in the mortgage industry and sought-after speaker. So we're going to be having him on next week. Special thank you goes out to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Finastra, Lenders One, Mortgage Collaborative, the Community Mortgage Lenders of America, Indicom, Inspirate, Ainsworth Advisors, AI Assist, Celebrity Home Loans, Knowledge Coop, Mobility RE, Modex, Velma, VendorSurf, and Vidyard. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you back here next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.